and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast Podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin, and I am here with you guys this week with another album review. This one is very special to me. It is the 1975 release by the band Nazareth, and the album is called Hair of the Dog. Chances are, even if you do not know the title of this album or do not know the name Nazareth, you have heard one, if not two songs off of this album. They have been licensed at nauseum in uh, all over the place and played on the radio constantly, um, which is awesome for the band. But there's a very good chance that you know this music, whether you know it by title or not. A couple quick updates. Um, these, uh, the book is almost done, or I should say the, the book trilogy is almost done. Uh, as of this recording, I am 81% complete with the edit on the third and final book of the trilogy. Then it's going to go out to the beta readers and then set up the audiobook and all that good stuff. And so uh, I am hoping for a release on the first book by August. I'm not sure. It just depends on how long it's going to take the process with the beta readers. And um, and go from there, because I want to make sure that what I'm releasing is uh, the best it can be. This is the first time I've released any kind of novel. Uh, Yes, I have three books out, but the first book was based on, uh, you know, my process for getting into the world of film composing. And my second, third books were basically just quotes I heard on the street of Vegas, coupled with street as if we have only one street, the streets of Vegas, mainly the strip. Uh, that I just heard people say randomly, coupled them with a bunch of bizarre pictures that no one would have ever taken otherwise or at least published. And uh, those are the three books that are out. So this will double the number of books that I will have out. But now these are actually stories that I have written uh, as fiction. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens with those and uh, how well those get received. But this has been going on for a long time. So I'm really excited to get these out. Uh, Finally, I have ideas for what is it? 16 other books, I think. Somewhere in there. But, you know, most of them are just fragments. It's like, this could happen. And I wrote it down and I put it in a folder that said book idea number 16 or whichever number. So uh, not all of those will be fully developed books. If I ever write another book, I've actually started on one, uh, another one that's a horror novel that I was working on when I was uh, had to spend uh, five days rebuilding my computer system. And while it was doing all the loading and stuff, I just took out a notebook and started writing. So uh, I've got that I'm working on. Whether that will ever see the light of day, I have no idea. But when that is done, I will go to work on the next album. This next album will be a... Uh, so in the summer, I do a release of songs that I have written and recorded some time ago, doing all new recordings, doing uh, a lot of producing work on them, taking myself out of the position of writer and being more of a producer and saying, okay, this song needs this, this needs to go and kind of revamping them for where I'm at currently uh, as a composer and also as a, as an engineer and uh, as a producer, because I kind of do all of that myself. So uh, that will also be out this summer. That is the plan. I've chosen the songs. I'm still back and forth on a couple. Um, I have a shoulder injury. So uh, whether I will be able to play drums on a lot of these songs is going to kind of determine which ones I'll put on the album or which, uh, you know, I may change the album that I do just just based on that. 
but uh, we'll see. And uh, as, as time goes on, but there will be another album coming out this summer. I'm very excited about that. Uh, talked to Kelly about it already. She's she's digging together concepts for the artwork, depending on which way I go. But either way, I know that she'll come up with something stunning. And then Rebecca will put her sweet lettering touches on it. And we'll have another stunning album cover for uh, for what is it? Album 29, I think. Yeah, getting up there. So anyway, uh, we're not here to talk about that. Today, we are here to talk about the album Hair of the Dog by Nazareth. Now, I have to share something really funny with you guys because, you know, whenever I do these album reviews, I put the links to a couple of different places in the show notes. I try to get iTunes and Amazon if Amazon has a reasonable link. A lot of times they don't, especially for albums that have kind of, uh, you know, been put in their mind in the past. They'll have one link where somebody's selling something for $374 and it's just a copy of the CD because it's out of print or whatever. Uh, but they actually did have a reasonable link. However, when I went to that link, uh, as I scrolled down, I was curious to see if they had a track list because there are a couple of other editions that have come out. I have the uh, one of the remastered editions, but there's apparently uh, a couple of anniversary editions that have come out that have some bonus tracks that I've never heard. I've not been able to find those. But what I saw when I scrolled down on Amazon's page, being the algorithm-centric site that they are, uh, I got a list of sponsored products related to this item. Now, keep in mind, I'm in the music category, okay? And I searched for Hair of the Dog Nazareth CD. That's what I looked for. And when you go to Amazon, typically, if you can find the CD, uh, if if the uh, you know if it's available, they'll have the MP3 download, they'll have vinyl and whatever else. So as I scroll down, here are the products that Amazon so sweetly chose for me to purchase in conjunction with my uh, band CD that I love so much. Uh, we'll start from uh, from left to right as it came out on my screen. Adams Plus Flea and Tick Shampoo. It's only 12 ounces, but it's also only $10.59. So, you know, I don't have a dog, but you kind of want to jump on that because that sounds like a great deal. The uh, Mozzie Roller Pro, the dog hair remover and cat hair remover. They couldn't just say dog and cat hair remover. They had to say hair remover twice and then follow that up with quickly removes pet hair. That's all in the description. So if you don't get it, it's a pet hair remover, but specifically to dogs and cats, it doesn't apparently work on rabbits or anything else. Uh, for $18.95. So that sounds like a good deal instead of having dog and cat hair all over your house, which I imagine you're going to anyway. Then they had the uh, <laughs> the Jaffa Detangling Hairbrush Dog Grooming Hair Combo Hair Comb Bamboo De-Shedding Brush for only $19.95. And it's basically a stick with a ring on the end of it. Uh, I would imagine it's sort of, uh, you know, Probably has some kind of bristles to capture the hair or whatever, but that's uh, what it looks like. Then we have what might be a couple of my favorite products. The Does Hands-Free Dryer for Pet slash Grooming Dryer slash Blower slash Pet Hair Dryer slash Dog Dryer slash Cat. And then we went on a room in the description. I'm going to guess that the next room was dryer or the next word was dryer. And it's uh, this weird looking thing that you can barely see because I guess they're just showing you a picture of the box. But next to that, uh, oh, that's only $219.99, folks. So look that up. Uh, but next to that, we have the Kunda Pet Hair Remover Glove, de-shedding glove perfect for dogs and dot, dot, dot. 
Now, I know that the description is truncated because of the space that they use. And that's just, you know, you only have so many characters and that's where it cut off. But I just love that. Perfect for dogs and dot, dot, dot. Like they could not have picked a better place to cut that description. But they're basically uh, a pair of gloves. And on the inside of the hands, you've got some sort of, uh, it looks like a plastic material with some bumps on it. I would imagine that you just run that along your uh, your pet's body and it collects all the uh, the loose hair. Sounds like a joy. Uh, you definitely want to, uh, you know, to do that as often as you can because you'll have a cavalcade of fun. Um, then we have the uh, Nudie Pet Nudie, N-O-O-T-I-E, uh, Pet Shampoo, one unit, 16 ounce Japanese cherry blossom for $17.99. That sounds fantastic. And then Pet Show, 10 pairs of flower, small dog hair bows with French beret, Hair clips, cat, dot, dot, dot. Again, uh, with the perfect timing. And that's only $12.99. And it's just basically, uh, just they just laid out a bunch of these things. They're sort of circular clips, uh, hair bows that you would put on your dog if you want to embarrass them, even though they'll have no idea what's going on. Uh, really more for the owner or the insane person that owns 12 or 13 cats. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you're going to have your uh, special item down underneath all of those. And it is 50% off coupon for Rachel Ray's Nutrish Soup Bones Longer Lasting Dog Treat Chews. Uh, four and a half stars with 22,868 people took the time to rate these damn things. And uh, you can get them in a, in a bag. They just look like uh, bones. And there's a picture of some hearty soup. Uh, it's all weird. But anyway, if you do a search for Hair of the Dog Nazareth on Amazon and you're a dog lover, you're in luck because you will be, uh, you know, given an array of dog things that you can purchase and cat or and dot, dot, dot. So jump on Amazon and check those out. But and they also may appear. I don't know what's going to happen when you click the link uh, in the show notes if you want to go look at this yourself. Uh, iTunes took a more simplified approach where they just bring you to the album. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a simple kind of guy I like that. I'm, I, I will prefer that. Uh, but this is a, a, you know, this album is very dear to me. I honestly cannot remember a time where I was not familiar with this album. I, I really can't. Uh, there are only eight songs on it, but every one of them is just fantastic. The remastered edition had uh, a couple of extra tracks. Uh, there were a couple of different ones. Uh, but looking over the main track list, we have eight tracks. We have Hair of the Dog, which was released. It's heard on the radio quite often. Uh, Miss Misery. Um, actually, this order is different than mine now that I think about it. I'm going to, because this is uh, apparently one of the bonus editions. So uh, Hair of the Dog, Miss Misery. Love Hurts is the third track on the album that was released as a single. Very popular song. Another one often licensed into films and commercials. Uh, Change in Times, Beggar's Day, which is a cover. Rose in the Heather, Whiskey Drinking Woman, and Please Don't Judas Me are the eight songs on the album that uh, is most well-known. Then it gets into some craziness with songs like Guilty in the international editions. And um, actually, it says that Love Hurts is an Everly Brothers cover. I did not know that. That's interesting. I'll have to look for that at some point in my life. But there's another song called Down Another Road, uh, one called Railroad Boy. I've never heard any of those songs. And... Um, Maybe someday I will. But for now, what we're going to be dealing with is just the studio album. And, uh, you know, there's so many great things to listen to just on that alone that uh, I don't think we need to get into all the other shenanigans at this time. 
but we do have uh, a great solid lineup for this album. We have Dan McCafferty on vocals. I'll tell you a quick story about him in a second. We have uh, Manny Charlton on guitar and synthesizer, Pete Agnew on bass and backing vocals, and Daryl Sweet on drums and backing vocals. On the song, Please Don't Judas Me, we have Simon Phillips on the tabla. I didn't know that. Simon Phillips. That is pretty cool. Uh, you might know him from playing with uh, Michael Shanker. I think he played on the, was it the, was he on Jesus Christ Superstar? I always think he was, and it, it wasn't. I think that was just a backing band. He might have been on the album, on the uh, movie soundtrack. I can't remember, but I don't want to say that for sure. Uh, he played with Frank Zappa, you know, lots of, uh, the guy's amazing, just amazing. He's done a ton of work in his life. Very good drummer. Uh, and then Vicky Silva is also doing some backing vocals on Please Don't Judas Me. So a couple of guest stars there. Uh, but yeah, tabla is a beautiful instrument. It's, uh, it's one that I will, uh, always enjoy hearing. Um, just adds a little bit of a, a Middle Eastern sound to things, but really kind of thickens things up. Thickens things up. I can't speak at this point, but it it kind of you know bridges the percussion, the melodic a little bit. It's a very beautiful instrument. So uh, that's basically the background for what we've got going on here. Um, well received album, very very loved by a lot of people, myself included. But it's it's been a very popular album, especially you know as we get into the two most commonly known tracks, you'll uh, you might recognize them. So I say let's just jump into it. Here is a little bit of Hair of the Dog off of the album Hair of the Dog by Nazareth. It's a great album opener uh, for, you know, a good solid rock album. It just, it sweeps in and said, hey, we mean business. You know, uh, you can't go wrong with a cowbell in a rock song. And uh, yeah, it's just got a good solid beat to it. It's got a little talk box in it, which is Dan McCafferty doing that. Um, but but a really good, solid, solid song. And I think there was like a an alternate version that was bleeped out because, you know, they do say son of a bitch in the chorus. Uh, the background vocals. And I think I, I want to say that I've heard a version of it on the radio where that was sort of muted out. They probably had to have like a, you know, an alternative for certain markets. Um, you know, typically we in America are just, you know, we can't have anything that has anything bad in it. So that has to all be bleeped out because heaven forbid we hear five letters that mean something horrible. And, and you know, what, what, what we're going to do with that, I have no idea. But in any case, I'm pretty sure that I've heard a version like that. I could be wrong. That could be my imagination, but it's a great song to open a rock album with. You know, it was, um, it's something that just sets the tone. It says we mean business. And I really like that. Um, the next song, Miss Misery is one that, uh, has always been one I, I've, I've loved. I listened to it a lot in my many years of, of having this album. And there's just such a, a great, grit to it such a good uh heavy foundation to the song and uh, let's check it out and see what it sounds like i 
it's not uncommon on a rock album that you have, you know, a little bit of a more up-tempo song for the first song, and then you start dialing it back a little bit for the second. But the important thing is to maintain that heaviness. And this song definitely has the heaviness from that opening guitar riff. It's really interesting, too, because they're a one guitar band and they they just sound like they have two guitars playing. It just sounds nice and thick. But of course, you know, in the studio, you can record as many tracks as you want. It's what you do when you go out on the road that makes all the difference. So, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good song. I love it. It's got a great chorus. Um, it picks up tempo later on in the song, but it does really hold this tempo for a while. And it's just it's just so good and solid and thick and, and rock sounding. I love the sound of the guitars. I love the sound of the bass drum on this album, which is something that I typically find that um, I don't like on a lot of albums because either it's a little bit too muddy or a little bit too thin in the mix. Uh, it's really hard to find that perfect uh, kick drum. But for me, this is good. It, it, you know, if it was a little more punchy, I would still love it. But it just it's there. It has a real presence. And for a rock album, you want something that's going to you know, going to kind of push down on your chest when you're playing it loud. And this song certainly does that. The The bass drum is really featured in this song where you, it has the opportunity to do that. So, you know, it wouldn't hurt to boost the bass a little bit on a song like this. But if if you play it at a good volume, you're going to feel it thumping your chest. And that's definitely something that you want, especially if you're going to slow the tempo down a little bit. It has to have that uh, feel to it, you know, and uh, Miss Misery definitely captures that. And, uh, you know, as far as the story goes, I think we've all been there in one form or another. Uh, just that person that you uh, you were entranced with and now has just made your life a living hell. <laughs> Some of us have been there multiple times. But in any case, that's life. That's how it goes. So, yeah, um, there we go for Miss Misery, uh, a wonderful song. And now we're going to get into the ballad of the album. This is the one that uh, that I just read was a cover. Very interesting. But this is probably, if anything, the one that you would know. It's been licensed in many commercials and uh, it's been played on the radio over and over and over again. A huge hit for the band, Love Hurts. I suppose there's some element of it being cliche to like the popular song on an album, especially one that's been around for this long. Or maybe it's, uh, you know, cliche to like the ballad on the on a rock album or something. I don't know. But I still like the song. You know, as many times as I've heard it, um, usually when songs become commercially successful, I tend to lose a little bit of interest in them because they just get overplayed for me. But uh, not so much anymore because I really don't put myself in the way of hearing anything that's in the mainstream. I don't listen to the radio. I don't watch television. Uh, I see the occasional commercial on YouTube, but that's about it. So um, I, I have a different perspective on it now because I'm not exposed to those things so much anymore. But with the stuff that's been around for a while, certainly I, I know the commercial aspect of it as well. But I think it's a very beautiful song, very well performed. I'm going to have to look and, and see if I can find the Everly Brothers version um, or, you know, any any other versions that came out before this one. But this is the one that I heard first. So it's a very good chance that the reason I like it is simply because it's the one I heard first and I might like it better 
than other versions just because it's the one I'm comfortable with. But there's a couple of really cool things in here. Uh, first of all, the way that this album is mixed is, is very well done. You can hear everything very clearly. You can feel the bass. You can hear the guitars. You can hear the keyboards. The vocals are crisp and clean. The drums aren't muddying up anything. And, uh, and, and it's fantastic. I really love how all of that comes together. But, uh, you know, with a song like this, it's so imperative that it has to be ready for radio play. You've got to have some elements in there that people are going to latch on to. And the chorus, it's easily singable. It's relatable. Uh, it's sung in a way that you can hear all the words clearly. You can follow it. You don't get lost anywhere in, in a tempo or, or an awkward change. And, uh, and, and I love it. Now, there is something particular about this, this remastered version that I had not heard on the album. I, had, I think I had the cassette, not the album. Yeah, I had the cassette. And I didn't hear it on the cassette. Now, I'm listening on better equipment. This is a remastered version. So maybe it wasn't something I could hear back then. But I'm going to play this for you because this came out in the solo section. And I want to see if you're hearing what I hear. It almost sounds like an extra hi-hat hit, but when I've isolated, it actually sounds more like a sneeze or a, or a cough. And uh, it's really interesting. I'll play it again just so you can hear it now that you know what you're looking for. So anyway, I found that interesting, but it's it's a beautiful song and, and it's got a really uh, vibrant tambourine in it. And normally I would find a tambourine like that to be distracting, but there's just something about the way that it blends in there. Maybe it's the reverb, maybe it's just the volume level or the panning, but I actually don't find it distracting at all. Um, I think it's actually a really nice touch. I think it adds some good emotion to it. And um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful song nonetheless. And it's one of those songs that if you just need to get something out of your system, like you're, you've got all this stuff built up, like you've just broken up with somebody or whatever, and you just need to let it all out. Like this is such a great song to listen to and, and just let it out. Um, so that is uh, Love Hurts. And then we get to the final song on the first side of what would be the album or the cassette and a song called Changing Times. This is in that same style when I think of songs like Let Me Stand Next to Your Fire by Jimi Hendrix or is it just called Fire? It might just be called Fire. I don't know. Um, or Speed King by Deep Purple where you've got, uh, you know, the the band and then you've just got something backing it. And then you've got the vocalist comes in with their line and they alternate music, vocal, music, vocal and keep it going that way without them playing a riff over or I should say underneath the vocal. Um, it's a really cool style. It really allows the uh, the story to stand out. But this song really develops well. There's uh, there's a whole huge build that it goes into, and uh, I love the the last half of the song. The the it just drives. It's really great. Some great guitar work and uh, some nice layering in there too. Um, just a, a wonderful song to listen to from start to finish. At first, it sounds just like. You know, a simple song, there's not much to it, but it, it really does build to something special and uh, it's well worth checking out. 
This is one that uh, my brother and I actually played live one time. We were performing at a, well, what was supposed to be a jazz festival. So we were just trying to find songs that kind of sounded jazzy so we could play there. And we ended up getting kicked out of our location because we weren't playing enough jazz. We did um, we did this song. We did uh, Samurai Heap, I want to say. I can't remember all what we played. We played a little bit of blues. And anyway, we got we were getting kicked out of our location. And um, the guy that owned Bambino's Pizzeria uh, said, hey, come down. You can play in front of my store. You can play as loud as you want. You can play whatever you want. I don't care. And so we uh, we relocated everything down there, played for a couple hours. It was a lot of fun. I ended up going to work at that Bambino's just a couple of years later for uh, a while and then had a horrible hand injury. But I lived and it's all okay. I don't think there's any permanent damage there. So in any case, uh, yeah, but it was a, it was a fun song to play live and it's a fun song to listen to. I don't know that we ever played it other than that in rehearsal, but in any case, yeah, it's a great song. Um, it's one of those ones that like, if you just need to kind of get it going, you know, like you need something to pump you up a little bit. It's a great song to do that with. And, um, a wonderful addition to the album. It's a great side ender too. I think it could have been a, a perfect album ender if they hadn't had a better song to end the album with. So to end the first side with this song was absolutely the the perfect choice. I really love the order of the songs on this album. And and again, I always have to go with the disclaimer of, is that because uh, it's just what I know and I know it so well? Very possibly. But I remember like early on just thinking like this album flows really well. So I, I'm just going to maintain my, uh, my innocence on, on that. So that's the, that's the first side. And now we're going to get into uh, another one of my favorite songs. This one's called Beggar's Day. Now, I'm hearing some guitar layers in there, so obviously there was some uh, really nice studio work done. But here's the thing. Um, there is something that really sets Nazareth's version apart from some of the other versions I've heard, at least for for me. Uh, and again, it's, you know, the first version that I heard was them. But there are a couple of really nice things that they do in the song that are really hooks for me, you know. And I'm going to play a couple of clips of those now so you can kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. Oh, well, look, I got them both in the same clip. I love that pre-chorus, um, but I love what the guitars are doing there, too. And that's not something that I've heard in any of the other versions. So uh, that's really just like a, a really cool part that I like. And I look forward to that when it's coming up in the song. It's a great solo, too. Um, and I was I meant to mention that the solo to Love Hurts is probably one of the most got to be in the top 100 famous guitar solos. But the solo in the song is great, too. I absolutely love it. Um, I love what the background guitars are doing, too. Um, the vocals are just spot on. It's a really weird song vocally, but what they did with it is just amazing. Some of the other versions are like slower, some are faster. They don't have 
They just don't capture the emotion the way that Nazareth did in this particular song. And uh, it's one that I've listened to many, many times. In fact, as clear as it is, it's one I had a hard time figuring out the words. And that's why I started listening to the other versions so I could figure out what they were, because everything that was posted really didn't sound at all like what he was saying. So uh, it sounds like they kind of changed the words a little bit for for their version because they don't really match what, what, what the other bands have done in every spot. But in any case, it's a, it's a great song. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I've gone back to it many, many times and uh, will continue to throughout my life. It's just a fantastic song. So the beginning of that that uh, crash symbol that you heard that's actually coming out of Beggar's Day. They're uh, they're one unit, and uh, depending on how your CD player works or how you rip it to your your system and the in the your computer player works, um, there might be a gap in there. But in any case, they were they were designed to be one uh, continuous piece of music, just broken up into two different names, as they're really two different songs. But this is beautiful. It's just a nice little journey. Uh, with with the band backing up the uh, the guitar player doing some nice solo work in there. Um, there's no vocals in it. Um, it's just a, a beautiful journey on a, on a warm cloud after you go through the uh, the song Beggar's Day. I, I think it's a really interesting twist in the in the emotion and the feel that you get listening to the album. But it just it just flows so nicely. And I don't know who said you know what we should tack this on to Beggar's Day, but whoever did, great idea because I think it worked very very well. Um, so that is Rose in the Heather. It's just a beautiful, beautiful piece of music. One that you can just kind of like close your eyes and listen to and, and drift away, you know, let your mind relax and, and just enjoy and float away in the audio. Um, the next song kind of takes you out of that a little bit. I don't really know where a good place to put it would have been. It seems like on the album, it actually might've been on the first side but that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem right in this location either. But in any case, song number seven is Whiskey Drinking Woman. If this album has a song that I would consider one that could have been left off, it would probably be Whiskey Drinking Woman. It's a good song. It was popular. Um, it's solid. It feels a little more Southern rock to me for some reason. I don't know if it's just the way that the riff is played, but uh, I would say of all the songs on the album, it's probably my least favorite. Doesn't mean I don't like it. Doesn't mean it's a bad song by any means, just of all the songs that are on the album, it's probably the one I would listen to the least. I'm more likely to skip over it when I'm listening to this album and get to the next track than I am anything else. Um, but it's a, it's a good, solid song. The vocals are solid. The mix is great. We get the return of the cowbell and we get a nice little story, you know, about this woman that uh, just kind of out of control. <laughs> 
and why you put up with it. <laughs> not not an unfamiliar story for a lot of people, I'm sure. Uh, probably very relatable, I would imagine. But uh, but yeah, it's it's a good song. Just one I'm like, eh, I don't feel like hearing this right now a lot of the time. And um, yeah, that's kind of why where I feel on that. Uh, the last track, Please Don't Judas Me, is a, a really wonderful track. I'm going to play you a couple of different spots, but I'll, I'll come in and break them up so that they're obvious. You don't think the song actually went that way. Um, let's hear a little taste of it. You get to hear a little bit of Simon Phillips on the tabla there at the end. Um, so this is just a, a section I took from the beginning of the song. I love that synthesizer that starts the song off. Um, and, and it started this clip as well. It just has such a, a warmth, but a cool feeling to it at the same time. In fact, there's a few songs that I put in this category I call cool songs. And it's not because the songs are cool. It's because they have just this, this cool vibe to them. Kind of like, you know, you're standing on your front porch, it's in the early morning, it, the, the sun hasn't really come up yet, but it's light out, and uh, and you just feel that that chill in the air, maybe there's a little bit of fog, just songs that make me feel like that. And uh, I'm going to be doing a show on those at some point, I don't know when, but that's on my list of things that I want to do on this podcast, because I think that they all, as different as they are, I mean, there's pop, there's rock, there's all kinds of stuff in that category for me. But that is one thing to me that brings all those songs together. And I, I really uh, like that about them. But this does that for me, too. I, I just feel like it's early morning. There's a fog out there and there's just a chill in the air, an early morning chill. And um, the song gets warmer as it goes. But uh, but just that feeling I, I love. So I'm going to play uh, a little bit forward into the song so you can kind of get an, an idea of where it goes, because the intro, the, the intro is very different from the rest of the song. Um, it's still this, the whole song is very mellow and keeps that pace, but, uh, but the sound changes quite a bit. Now, I don't want to spoil the song, so I'm not going to play any more. If you're not familiar with it, please, uh, if, if you like what you hear, go check it out. Check out the whole album. It's really fantastic. But uh, this song goes in another direction. There's a, a bit of a marching snare drum that comes in. Uh, you hear the additional vocals uh, come in. I love how Dan McCafferty sounds on this album. He's got such an amazing voice, and especially uh, on these songs. I think they they could not have done... Uh, a better job of putting a band together and creating an album. Um, I mentioned in, in the opening that I was going to tell a Dan McCafferty story. So 
There's a band called Crocus, K-R-O-K-U-S, and a song called Screamin' in the Night that came out in the 80s. And this would have been sometime, you know, around when Nazareth came out with the song uh, Holiday and um, Our Love Leads to Madness, like in that era in the 80s. And I swore that that was Dan McCafferty singing backups on this song by Crocus called Screamin' in the Night. When they sing uh, I Die For You, that line, there was a backing vocal that just has that certain sound and raspiness that Dan McCafferty has. And I was positive that it was him. And all these years I've been saying, I know it was him. It had to be him. And I've looked and I've researched the internet and looked for anything that could give me a clue. So finally, uh, last year, I thought, you know, this is really silly. Why don't I just ask? So uh, I was going to write to Dan. Uh, I could only find him on Twitter and I'm not very good at Twitter. I, you know, people could respond to me and there's a good chance I'm not going to see it. So I thought I don't want him to reply to me and then have it get lost in the shuffle. And people get weird if you just DM them sometimes, especially if they're, you know, celebrities or well-known people. So I went on Facebook and I reached out to Crocus and I said, uh, hey, I've, there's something I've always wanted to know. Did Dan McCafferty sing backups on this song? And they said, nope, sorry, Dan did not. So mystery solved. It wasn't him. The The singer for the band does have a similar voice, but there's just something so specific about the gravelly nature that Dan has that, uh, as, you, as you heard in the clips, uh, he has a very, very unique and specific voice. And it really sounded like him on backups. But alas, it was it was proven not to be him. So all my it's got to be him. And I'm sure it is him and all that turned out to be a lot of wasted time because it isn't. But I don't have to go through the rest of my life wondering if it was him because I got an answer. Thank you, Crocus, for letting me know. I appreciate that very much. And you know what? You're a great band, too. I'm going to have to cover one of your albums as well. Um, but that is Hair of the Dog, guys. It's uh, a really wonderful album. It, it's one of those albums that I just feel like it's been with me through my whole life. I don't remember when I first heard it or how it came into play. I think, oh, you know what? I think it was because of Uriah Heep, because the song, there was a song that was on the B side of the Abominog 45 that was called Son of a Bitch. And I thought, or my brother thought, I can't remember which one, one of us or we thought it was the song Hair of the Dog because they say Son of a Bitch in that song. And it was not a common thing to be saying in songs. There was like this really, you know, weird, careful time during the 80s and threats of backwards masking and all kinds of things going on. But it wasn't a common thing you would hear. So we thought it was that song. I don't remember if that's why we got the album, but I know there was some connection there to Uriah Heep at the time. Of course, they have nothing to do with each other whatsoever. I do believe they played some festivals together, but as far as any any other musical intertwinings, uh, as far as I know, there haven't been any. But uh, yeah, so there was that connection. But in, in any case, I'm so glad that I uh, I had this album come into my world. I couldn't tell you the number of times I've listened to it. It's been such an enjoyable album. Uh, if I had to do one of those uh, desert albums, you know, like you can only bring five or 10 albums or whatever it is. And I don't know why people play this game because I'm sure there's no electricity on the island and it's probably really hot and your records are going to melt anyway. <laughs> so um, I don't know. It's kind of a weird game to play. I, I get the concept of it, but 
in any case, this would probably have to be on that list because uh, if I only had a handful of albums to listen to, I don't think I'd want to be without this one. It, it's it's a really treasured album in my life. So uh, go check it out. If you're not familiar with the album or if you're only familiar with the hits off of it, go and check out the Deep Tracks guys because uh, they're all just fantastic and enjoy that. Enjoy your week. Thank you for joining me on another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I'm loving doing these album reviews. You know, it's great. And not, um, you know, right now when I'm so busy between the Uriah Heat podcast and doing the projects and stuff and, and the job, it uh, it's really nice to be able to um, just like sit down and do a, a review of an album that I really like or you know, I've got some plan that are just some collections of, of individual songs that, that are related or some that aren't related. Um, so lots, lots to look forward to. I still have some interviews coming up, though. I'm, I'm just going to be kind of, you know, threading those in throughout uh, the quilt of this show. Well, there's an analogy I've never made before, uh, but that's what I'm going to be doing. And we're going to have lots of fun as we are in the second half of the show now and, uh, and doing wonderfully. So you guys have a wonderful week. We'll be back next week with another show. Do something good for yourselves. Do something good for someone else and have a great day. Take care, guys. Cheers.